my very best to get this job that I so crave. Welcome, everybody, to Mayhem at the Multiplex Five. Is this the fifth one of these? I'm getting old. That is very, very sad. But this is the fifth Mayhem at the Multiplex, uh, and we are here for the Fan Zone Debate Title Match. I'm very looking forward to this one. Uh, I'm your host tonight, Tim Burkala, and I've got two of the best judges in the biz here to judge this one with me. We got Brian Michaels here. Uh, Brian, how are you doing tonight, sir? I'm doing great. I'm excited for this one. Uh, these are two great debaters. Of course, the current champion going up against Cody, who is not only a former champion in, in debate leagues, but a rather dominant one at that. Yeah. Uh, and Brooklyn, uh, you are here. You've uh, been on the other side of Cody in a debate before. Uh, you And I, I don't know if you've ever played Kirk, but uh, I'm excited to have you here. How are you doing, sir? And what do you think about the match? Uh, yeah, I've uh, I've played Cody in a movie debate title match. I took him to the last to the last question. Um, the thing about Cody is, no matter how much you prepare, it will somehow not be enough. But having <laughs> said that, listen, listening to Kirk and watching him debate, Kirk just has this swagger, and no matter what you throw at him, it just it it is uninteresting to him. And it's like no matter what you say, he is going to have something else. So to see those uh, see those styles and like seeing Cody's seeing Cody's performance grow throughout the time, I think I think him becoming I think him becoming a father and like kind of having that responsibility has kind of changed how he goes. He's not as crazy, but it's uh there is still some chaos there. Just a little bit less abusive, I think. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's fair. Uh so yeah, like the like they said, we got Kirk versus Cody and it's gonna be nuts. Kirk uh most recently uh winning earlier this year against uh rue if i'm if i'm remembering things correctly he played rue earlier this year back in like april um and then last year he played the likes of um nazario and he won his title off of jacoby so kirk's been around the block at this point when it comes to fan zone but cody uh debuted earlier this season uh he debuted against one mike hanley in a very fun match and then uh went on to play richard schwartz in what i believe was was the first in fan zone history KO every vote went to Cody in that match. It was kind of, it was kind of wonky. Uh, and then he just won the number one contenders match against Robert Kastner. So really great histories with both these guys in fan zone. Let's go talk to them right now. Starting with Mr. Newberry, the challenger, Cody, you are here. Um, you have told, you told me at the end of last season, I, I think, I think it's time. I want to play. I want to. I want to get in. I want to debate uh, because I, I, I want to play Kirk. I think if anything, you saw Kirk play, and you went, hmm. "Well, I want to play Kirk." And now you're here, and now you're doing it. And uh, are you excited? Are you nervous? Uh, let's let's peel back the curtain on Cody Newberry. Yeah. So I got I got to my goal. I'm playing Kirk. Um, I'm, I've been a little down today. Just basically who I am as a person. Um, I know how good Kirk is. Um, as a debater, I think I can beat him, but it's going to take a lot tonight to do it. Um, I've had three matches, but I haven't played the caliber of Kirk at, at any point in this. Nothing against the three people that I played, but no one was even close to Kirk um, in that level. I didn't even have to go to a speed round against all three of them at that point. So it's just like, um, I don't think I did. I don't no, think I did play Robert. No. Yeah. Um, so I haven't had to play a speed round. I know if anything, this is probably going to a speed round or he's kind of wiped the floor of me. I was on the desk when he won last time. 
and he literally lost the first two questions and like a beast arose like it was terrifying and he like swept everything and we were all just sitting here stunned at the end of it he's got his cat on his table right now so that's just going to be more evident that he's trying to fuck with me because that cat hates me and i'm allergic to cats and cat something might have i might have picked something listen it's gonna be fun. Let's just do this. Okay, sounds good. Let's bring in your opponent tonight, Cody, uh, Mister uh, Kolkowski Kirk. Welcome. Uh, excited to have you back for Mayhem uh, at the Multiplex Five. And like I said, you won your title against Jacoby uh, at Mayhem at the Multiplex last year. So if you win this match, you will have held the title for a full year, uh, which is an insane feat. Uh, but you, like I said. You've had a really good run, and now you're playing Cody um, in a different multiverse. I could say you guys might even be a good team, and now you're teaming up to, or going against each other here. Uh, how do you feel about the matchup now that Cody's on the other side? Yeah, I mean, when Cody announced his uh, his return, uh, no offense to anybody he played or anybody else who played this season, I feel like this moment was just inevitable. Like this was, like I said, just smash cut right to now from there uh, because this was going to happen. And yeah, I think, you know, like Brooklyn, I think he did a, a, a nice job analyzing both our styles. And uh, Cody has just evolved. I've watched him evolve as a debater. I remember I kind of wish I was playing the old school Cody because I knew what I would, I, I would know what I was, I, I, at least I, I'd be in, you know, what I was in store for. But Cody has evolved. And I think he's kind of turned that sledgehammer into a, a surgeon scalpel. And that scares me a little bit because, um, to have Cody coming in like that and, you know, like that prepared and that ready and that, you know, ready to take turns and, you know, not be caught off guard. Maybe uh, that's, that's what scares me. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm looking forward to it, gentlemen. I wish you both the best of luck. Uh, it's it's going to be a good match, I hope. So let's get into it. Uh, so this is how it's going to work tonight. So Brian, Brooklyn, and I are going to be the judges. And uh, the debaters are going to debate some questions that we gave them tonight before our very souls. So uh, Kirk, as the champion, was able to pick three categories. One from uh, fandom, one from Warzone, and then a third from either of his choice. Um, and so there are going to be five prep questions tonight. They're going to debate those questions that we gave them. They are going to have a one-minute opening followed by a five-minute free form, followed by a one-minute closing. And at the end of those questions and those debates, Brooklyn, Brian, and I will write on our handy-dandy boards who we think won that question. Best two out of three votes wins the question. And because this is a seven uh, or a four, five, Jesus, because this is a five-prep debate, we are going to do best four out of seven. So... Should we be uh, at a difference of three to two after the five prep questions? We will go to two speed round questions uh, should we need them. So, Cody and Kirk, are you ready? Yes, sir. No. <laughs> Let's do this thing. All right, gentlemen, we are going to kick it off right away with your first question, which is going to be in the category of directors. This is uh, the Warzone category drafted by Kirk. Your question is, what is the best quote from a Kurosawa film? So, uh, Kirk, since you drafted this, you get to go first. You have one minute to open your argument 
when you start talking. Life is brief. Fall in love maidens before the crimson bloom fades from your lips, before the tides of passion cool within you, for there is no such thing as tomorrow after all. Uh, these are lyrics to a song uh, sung by the main character Kanji Shimura in Akira. Uh, these, this is a, um, these lyrics perfectly encapsulate what the movie is about uh, in a very uh, beautiful, poetic, melancholy way. Um, it's sung twice throughout the movie. Um, and it just has a, um, like I said, it's, it's just a perfect uh, poetry uh, to, 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 to show what this movie is about. Uh, it has cultural relevance. relevance. Uh, it's a, from a Japanese folk song. Uh, so it just has so much good for it. It sounds beautiful uh, in the in the original Japanese language. Um, and like I said, it's it's spoken twice with, throughout the movie uh, in two different scenarios, uh, signifying kind of two different things. Um, and I'll get more into that later, but I think it's just a, uh, a beautiful way, one of those iconic uh, carousel lines. And we'll talk more about it. Time. Okay. Uh, we are going to move over to Cody. Cody, you now have one minute to open your argument when you start talking. Uh, very beautiful film um, about a man that basically lives a very mediocre life all the way up till he finds out that he has cancer, and then he starts to live life to the fullest. The quote that I picked is, how tragic a man can never realize how beautiful life is until he's face-to-face -face with death. Uh, the reason why I think that's probably the most important quote, just because not only in the film, but it literally can translate to normal day life. Uh, life is such a blur. We all get caught up in the one thing, and including this character, and it's brought to life that you never realize how beautiful life really is until you're at the end. And um, it may not have cultural ref it may be cultural significance or sung in Japanese, but overall, I think it's the easiest thing to quote, and it's uh, the best quote from Kurosawa. Okay, so ending about ten seconds early. Um, I don't. I can't repeat both the quotes, but Cody's choice versus Kirk's choice. Uh, you guys are gonna have five minutes. Uh, I will come in to give you a one-minute warning. Actually, no. You know what? I'm not gonna come in. I'm gonna put the banner up like Brooklyn. Did. Ooh, I like yeah. that. So there will be a warning, uh, but then I will come in to give you your ten seconds. Five minutes when one of you starts talking. I'd say um, our both of our quotes are kind of pointing towards the same thing. But yours is just a throwaway line where basically if anybody's paid attention to the movie, this line, your line doesn't need to be said. Your line is just what the movie is. And mm. it's 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 redundant in in that in the, in that it, it just here's what this movie's about. And it's kind of and there's a lot of lines like this in the movie. Like it's not the only one spoken like this. It's a line. It's you know, it, it, this is basically there's a lot of conversations about this topic, especially at Kanji's funeral. Um, so there's really nothing special about your line. Yeah, I mean, we can argue ours is very cut from the same cloth, but mine is easier to say and more relevant and easier to actually quote in uh, normal day life about it. You'd almost have to pause and look up exactly what is said in this thing because I'm sorry, I love you to death, but you were stumbling through the quote itself. It's a lot of tongue-tied words. It's, it's, it plays like a song because it is a song, and that's what I mainly think. It's hard to quote a song like this when it has such – lyrics the way it does mine can be a throwaway line at the end of the day but i've heard people throw away like inspiring quotes before and be like oh whoa that's something i can hang on to that's something that translates farther than this film and it actually summarizes the film better in a more cohesive like grouping of words 
you said this people could take a throwaway line and remember it, like, but nobody's done that with this line. Nobody says, Oh, you remember that line from from uh Ikeru where he says, you know, your quote? Uh that's not something that, that's that's quoted a lot. A lot, a lot of people say it. My my line, if when you talk about Akira, people remember this song. People remember him singing the song. They remember the way they the way it made them feel. That's the thing about the salt line too. There's an emotional uh, uh, beat that goes with this. It's not just somebody saying it. It's the main character himself instead of somebody else expressing the feelings and the thoughts of the movie. Yeah, I, I, I get where you're coming from, but at the end of the day, yours is the song that is sung, and I don't know if that was playing, if I could even repeat it back to somebody. And you're saying is yours is no one's ever used yours. I've never heard one person from this. They remember the scene, they remember them singing, but they don't remember the words from the song. They think of how beautiful that moment is. Like when I was watching, I was like, this is a beautiful song. But at the end of the day, I would have to pause to write down the lyrics to have any idea with this. This, my words translate and it can translate and it should. Okay. I, if no one talks about it, we start, we should start because when you're don't, people don't realize how beautiful life really is. We think it's bleak. We think it's boring. And this main character thinks it's bleak and boring and he lives this, this steady nine continuous job or continuous life and then he finds out he's got cancer and lives like now i need to live my life this quote gives you like hope to stop waiting till the end start living it now yours is a beautiful song and got like poetry in there but it's hard to quote and it's hard to repeat back to people yeah but our argument isn't what's the most quotable line it's the best it's the best quote from a movie and that, yeah. this is the quote taken from the movie. We're not talking about what's going to like, what's the best zinger from the movie. It's the, what's the best quote. Mine does everything you said yours just does, but a very like flowery, poetic, uh, like I said, culturally relevant way with it, take it from Japanese, you know, the original, uh, you know, people hearing this in the original language are going to recognize that. And they're probably going to know that, you know, these, these lyrics and these lines a lot more than they're going to know yours. And like I said, even though any people who know this movie, people who know Kurosawa know these lines. They may not be able to fire them off to but they know the gist of the song. They know they know the lines. They know what it says, and they're they're not. You know, they'll guess that your movie's from a probably because it has to do with that movie. But it doesn't have the impact, the emotional impact that. I, and like I said, my 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 quote is the person we're talking about singing about his own life. Your quote yeah. is somebody talking about him. And again, like yeah. I said, it's one of many things said about him later on. It just doesn't have the impact and the relevance that, that mine does. Well, again, we're not talking about what's the most like, like who has to say it or where it goes. My viewpoint is we're we're gonna fight semantics of what's the most easy and quotable or most poetic. I'm just saying, at the end of the day, like mine is easy to translate. You may not say it's the most quotable because that's not the question, but best quote I would consider a quote that can can stand by itself away from its movie. I don't think yours can continue on from that movie. Mine can continue on from it, just like. You can quote it and figure out the movie. Mine is a lot easier to figure out what movie it came from than your movie because you'd be like, oh, well, it's when they were singing. You know that song? Just like we're going to need a bigger boat from Jaws. Mine can translate right into it, and you can figure out what my, movie mine's from. My, my quote has carried on. You want to talk about what's good? Mine has. That's just a fact. Where? People remember this scene. They remember this song. They remember these They remember lines. the scene, but they no don't remember one, the quote. They remember, they remember the lines. What else? That's what the song is. It's the, it's the, it's the lines being sung. They remember that. They don't know. No one talks about your line. Nobody talks. Who has used that as a karaoke song? You would. You would have thrown. I'm not saying they use this song. They would say they use it from this as a quote. As a quote from this movie. The line. These are like these lines from this movie. Um, you talk about who uh, we're going to need a boat. Don't bring that up. This is nothing like that. No one ever repeats your line. People talk about my line all the time. Time. Okay, we're gonna go with Cody. 
to have the first closing. Cody, you have one minute when you start talking. I've known Kirk for numerous years in this community. He's never quoted this one time at me, so apparently he's in different groups than I am. But my thing is how tragic a man can never realize how beautiful life is until it's face-to-face with death is literally the definition of this movie said in a line broken down he says it's mentioned by a bunch of people that are there there's a bunch of things like this mentioned in different funeral scenes and stuff but he hasn't mentioned one of those he's mentioned one of the scenes people remember the scene because it's one of the heartbreaking scenes of him singing but no one talks about what he sings it's just him singing that song that's all they talk about from this film and it's a great scene don't get me wrong but when we're talking about best quote in a kurosawa film this is this breaks a beautiful story a two-hour movie and breaks it down to one line of dialogue that you can remember, you can take with you, you can use it in everyday life, you can pass this on, and people will remember where this came from. Okay. Um, we'll move over to Kirk. Kirk, you now have one minute to close your argument when you start talking. I think Cody wants to have his cake and eat it here, too. He wants to talk about how it's so quotable and also how it's uh, so, uh, you know, centrical to the movie. And it's really neither. Um, no one quotes this movie no, or this line. No one talks about this. You, you, you know, you bring this up to, yeah, it's in the movie, but it's just there. Uh, my song, it, my my, uh, my lyrics and my, my quote is remembered forever from this movie. He says, oh, yeah, people remember the song because the song's heartbreaking. The song's heartbreaking because of the lyrics. There's a lot more to it, too. I mean, it sounds beautiful in the original Japanese. Um, it's haunting. Like I said, it's melancholy. It, it evokes a lot of emotions, which his song, which his line just doesn't. It's just there. Uh, mine does everything his does, but just in a much more cinematic, uh, poetic way, uh, where his line, like I said, it's not something he, he, wants to t- he wants to talk about this like it's something that gets quoted all the time. It never does. People talk about my line. Neither line gets quoted like as a movie quote, but people talk about mine, not about his. Time. Oh, boy. Well, this is going about the way that I thought it was going to. Uh, <laughs> that, was, that, was, that, was, that was pretty good to start. <laughs> okay. I love it when, like, you just know, like, I've, I've rewatched, like, old debates that I've played in. Uh, and, like, when I would start talking fast because I, I was getting nervous, <laughs> that happened with both of them in here where they were like, oh, shit. Uh, oh god okay okay are you guys ready yeah all right i'm gonna kick us off um i like i said like i've alluded to i thought this was very good i thought um I, I when I wrote the question, I knew it was gonna be tough. It's a it's a quote from a from a Japanese film. You, you got to think outside the box a little bit. Uh, but I thought they did a really good job, and I actually went with Cody. Um, I thought that Kirk did a good job explaining in the beginning and his opening, like what the his quote um, was, and like explaining the the context and everything. But I thought Cody did a really good job of saying like the scene is beautiful and people might remember the scene, but the quote itself like isn't super memorable. The the scene itself overshadows the quote, whereas Cody's quote does hit the themes of the movie and it's really beautiful and you can bring it into real life stuff um, beyond just uh, the uh, scene in the movie itself. So I went with Cody. And honestly, too, the other thing I was thinking about towards the end was um, Kirk, like I honestly, by the end of the fight, kind of forgot what Kirk's quote even really was. 
um because cody was kind of nailing home like the the points and the themes of his quote um so i went with cody but i thought it was very good very close uh brooklyn where are you going away um all right we're just gonna bring it right away uh i went with kirk <laughs> Um, I thought Kirk had really good defense when it came to Cody's attack. Like when Cody was talking about when people like people remember, remember the song song more, more or less. And like, I think he did really good, but then whenever Kirk contextual contextualized it too, it's like, well, no, the scene is good because of like, because of, of because of those lyrics. Um, and then I think Kirk just also had a really, like a really strong closing. Um, and I don't necessarily think that Cody did, bad and bad in this one like he did all the things that he probably should have uh but just didn't quite get this out okay brian uh who's getting this point well you know they're both talking about you know which ones you know people remember which ones they quote and you know, my circles nobody's quoting either of these movies just saying um but that aside um i mean they're, they're both like beautiful quotes uh beautiful passages from it um i know uh, cody was talking about how his could you know stand by itself how it's just a great line, uh, how it's, uh, it kind of sums up the movie in a line, and it really makes the point very succinctly. Um, Kirk, as well, supported his very well, although actually I think he shot himself in the foot a little bit when he said, when he was saying, oh, people remember this, and he goes, well, they don't, maybe don't remember it, but they remember the gist of it. And he kind of shot himself in the foot, undermined himself there. Um, but in the end, I ended up voting for Cody. Okay, so Cody wins the first point. <laughs> We're going to move on to the second question. Uh, this was drafted by Cody, I would assume. Uh, but I'm going to double check. It was drafted by Cody, and it is going to be in the category of the MCU. And oh boy, I know the contestants are very excited about this one because it's a pitch question. So uh, here's what we got for you guys We are going to hear your pitches for Black Panther Wakanda forever so just uh fair warning to the audience at home these pitches by the gentleman were sent in uh quite a while ago by the time you're seeing this so if it doesn't line up with certain things that's that's the point they're they're gonna like certain real things that we've heard about the movie recently that's okay because uh it's their pitch so they can say whatever the fuck they want so uh cody you were gonna kick this one off you have one minute to open your uh, pitch argument when we start talking. Yeah, it's no secret. I'm not a huge fan of the very first Black Panther, but I think they have all the tools to set up a good sequel, even though the passing and the tragic of uh, passing of Chadwick Boseman. Uh, so basically, mine is the nation of Wakanda mourns the death of King uh, T'Challa. That's off screen, not on screen. He doesn't die in any way on screen. The inner circle of the main characters must confront a hard question about the future. A new threat, basically, invasion of. Uh, Neymar uh, and the Atlanteans. Um, Neymar will be played by Tom Hardy um, as opposed to the new threat to the survival. Their answer for a new Black Panther comes from the unlikeliest of players. Um, and I'm going with the fallen border tribe leader, Wakabi, played by Daniel Kalua. Um, I think overall he gives the best chance for the arc to come back around to uh, rise up um, from after betraying T'Challa in the first one. <laughs> Okay. All right. We are going to move over to Kirk. Kirk, you have one minute to open your argument when you start talking. 
Okay, my pitch uh, is basically that T'Challa is killed in, a, in an accident while on a diplomatic vi- uh, visit to Atlantis uh, and Namor. Uh, we're going to establish kind of a, a relationship and a friendship between the two of them. Um, the Wakandans find evidence that it might have been an assassination, and there's international tensions rising against Wakanda um, as they are uh, the hardliners on the Wakanda uh, Council are pushing uh, to go to war with Atlant- uh, Atlantis. Uh, this leaves Shuri, Mbaku, Ross, Aoki uh, to discover the true culprits behind the uh, besides Tahala's death, uh, which is eventually is going to include Namor as they as as we go on, obviously. Uh, and uh, eventually, uh, Mbaku is uh, enshrined as the new Black Panther. Uh, I think this is just the most interesting. I think that the fact that we are talking about Wakanda forever, uh, Wakanda has to be a character. I think we need to be uh, focused on the next step of Wakanda. Not only is Wakanda left uh, with a vacuum with lots of Black Panther, but also in their, their new expansion and going out into the world. And what does that look like in reality? And how do the people of Wakanda react? Time. Okay. All right. So we've heard the pitches. Let's get into it, guys. Five-minute freeform when one of you starts talking. Okay, yeah. So the original crew of mine comes back. Everybody's there. Um, basically, a uh, new threat comes through, picking it. Um, the only reason why I picked um, I picked uh, Wakabi over Mbaku, um, multiple reasons, actually. Mbaku denies being Black Panther and denies taking it in the original film. So I think it's just weird if he takes it back. He's also already that brute force that kind of doesn't need the power. It doesn't really make sense for him to have the power. So that's why I wouldn't have used him. I don't like the idea that you're pitching kind of civil war two. Um, and that's my take on it with mine is we're both pitching the same character. We're both pitching the same thing, but I don't like the start of a buddy cop and then makes the villain a quick turn. I think it's a cheesy thing. So I want to get ahead of that on that. Um, but that's uh, what the main thing is. I think, uh, basically Wakanda Forever, bringing up another thing, bringing another world to it, I think inch makes the makes Wakanda a little bit, their own hidden city versus another hidden city, I think makes it uh, uh, a lot more interesting. Uh, yeah, mine is Hidden City versus Hidden City 2. It's just a little more, uh, I think there's more story to mine. I think yours is, sounds more like action figures smashing together, uh, where mine is, uh, there's there's some intrigue. I mean, there's going to be obviously action scenes and things like that, but there's some intrigue, there's some politics behind it, which I think is the most fun. When you're do, dealing with two, you know, Marvel fictitious nation, I think that's the most fun. I picked M'Baku because I think he is the most fun character. I think he's the most interesting character. And I think um, Aoki has a little bit further to go before he could reach maybe my third Black Panther. Maybe by the end of the trilogy, he takes it up. But I think he still has a little further to go before we make him the actual uh, Black Panther. Yeah, I want Wakabi to be the Black Panther moving forward. Like, I don't want it just to trade off every once in a while. That's why I think your character is a little bit weak. You're also turning this kind of into a murder mystery, which which we all know who the bad guy is to start with. So I don't know how much plot or how much story behind yours is actually there. Um, with mine is, you're literally pitching Civil War. 100% civil war. Her father died on a diplomatic mission to somewhere else, and then yeah. they had to decide whether to go to war or not. It's civil war too, but Wakanda well, they, style. They weren't. They weren't. They weren't deciding who would go to war. With, to go to war, they were just going. They just had individual characters. That's the whole point of this movie: is that there's going to be a, a sect of Wakandans who say, "Hey, every time we go out into the world." somebody gets killed we need to close those borders and that challenges everything t'challa wanted to do opening up the borders going out in the world and that's what this is about are we going to be able to do that or not and that's why i think that's interesting to continue those threats out in the world to see if they can overcome them i think and I, 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 I would say one more too the the the, uh, the villain isn't namor namor isn't the killer so i mean i, I oh. we don't know who the, who the killer is before oh. i'm sorry if i was unclear but namor is not uh, uh, namor ends up like it, t- it turns out like namor is working with Wakanda to find out what really happened. 
So he's not the villain in your film? No. So you're neutering another villain in the MCU. He's not Neymar, a villain. He's an anti-hero. But that's the perfect person to come against the new Black Panther. That's That just seems yeah. like a silly concept. And your exact thing is, it is Civil War II, where they go into a diplomatic meeting, then they have to decide whether they need to close borders. And why would it, in borders your new film, in hold on, if you're new, going to your next film, going to your next film, T'Challa just opened up all the things, and now he passed away. Now you're going to decide whether to close it or not? No, T'Challa wanted it open. Keep it open. Exactly. Make it work. That, that's my, my take on it, I think Tom Hardy comes in as the villain, as the person to go against him. I think that makes a great stretch. They're kind of deciding with the guy that turned his back on T'Challa to rise up to be the Black Panther, to rise up against Tom Hardy as Neymar, I think is the most interesting concept that you can have. It's not action figures struggling because the internal battle, the inner, like, democracy, like, deciding on who the next Black Panther is is going to be the most compelling part of the film. I want to talk, you, you brought up Tom Hardy. I want to talk about yeah. that. That is, we, we've seen what uh, Tom Hardy does as a uh, comic book anti-hero. It's not good. And you bring, you, you bring in Tom Hardy in a movie where you need to establish the new Black Panther as the hero of the movie, Tom Hardy is not the guy. Tom Hardy is the guy. Tom Hardy cannot play second fiddle. Tom Hardy is going to want to come in and make this his movie. And you can't and you can't have that in a Black Panther movie. It just doesn't work. Are you the same person that says Chris Evans after playing the Human Torch can't be Captain America? No, I'm People not. redeem no, themselves. Not. Better scripts, better producers, better directors make things different. He but can I'm, do this well. I'm talking, about his, person, I'm talking about his personality as an actor. He can't come in and play second yes, banana to whoever yes, you're can. trying. That's not, that's not who Tom Hardy is. That's not what he does. You listen to actors. Who's playing Neymar in your film? Huh? Probably Who's Henry Golding. Probably Henry Golding is going to play him. So okay. you need you need somebody who's going to elevate the the cast and the and like I said whoever you ha whoever you have replacing Black Panther is going to need that push and Tom Hardy is the guy that's going to hold him back. Tom Hardy is not going to accept playing second banana to whoever you have going into the, into the he's going to be the star. Namor's he can go up against the Black Panther. Time. Michael B. Jordan. Michael B. Jordan. Strike it from the record. Uh, okay. So. <laughs> uh, Kirk, you are going to close this first. You have uh, one minute when you start talking. Yeah, this mirrors Civil War, and like I said, I want it to mirror Civil War because I want that. The The borders have opened. There's still the process of opening those borders, and are we going to do that now? Without T'Challa here, without his leadership, without his vision, can we carry his vision out? We're going to have that core group of uh, people from the original movie, his his family, his friends, who want to do that, but who are not going to be, uh, who are going to be have so many people from outside and within Wakanda and without coming up against that, and that's why I want that. Carrying on the legacy of T'Challa and the Black Panther is going to be a huge part of my movie. And how does that work when every when we keep seeing these reasons, people keep seeing these reasons not to do that? Is it really the right thing to do? This The political espionage, all that stuff, that plays right into that. Uh, Co uh, Cody's movie just sounds like it's battles, it's fights. There's no real story. So, okay, uh, Black Panther and Namor met each other, they're going to fight. My movie has a little bit more going on behind the scenes. Like I said, we're going to have action, we're going to have fun, we're going to see you know, an early uh, third act fight, but there's a lot more to it than that. Time. Okay. Uh, we're going to move over to Cody, who has one minute when he starts talking. 
So say Tom Hardy has to play the main lead. Michael B. Jordan played up against him perfectly, and that's the perfect setup as another villain to set up inside. Basically, they're mourning the death, figuring it out, and in, in comes the Atlanteans. They have to figure out who becomes it. I just don't understand how M'Baku and your story can become the next Black Panther when at the end of the film he refuses to become Black Panther. It's literally in the film of the previous one, but now he comes up and goes, oh, well, since he's dead in a diplomatic mission, I'll take the herb. It just doesn't make sense. It's like giving the Hulk the power. He's already big. He's already massive. He doesn't need that ability. But Daniel Kalua, a smaller sex guy, to be able to get the powers of that with Cherry and everybody coming up with a new battle from under the sea. Two hidden worlds basically coming to collide. I mean, all action, you're saying that's bad. Have you seen Infinity War? I had a damn good time in Infinity War. So not all that's bad. Let them battle. Let them have action. Let them build up. There's all the stuff that can happen. I just think yours is Civil War II, which is what the MCU is just repeating themselves. They don't need to. Time. All right. Uh, so we are going to bring in the judges. All right. Brooklyn, are you there? I, oh, sorry. Yeah, I am. <laughs> okay. Um, Okay. Um, Brian, you decided the last one, so you get to go first on this one. All right. Um, again, just for the viewers, uh, this was made before any trailers or anything came out for Clanda Forever. And even just since they were given these questions, we know Dan and Clue is not in the movie. We know Tina Cortez playing anymore. All kinds of stuff. So that's all aside. Um, we're going just by their arguments here. Um, it's tough because they're they're very they're really somewhat similar in in the fact that you know they're both involving uh, you know Atlantis and Namor. Although if you believe Cody, it's called Namar. Uh, <laughs> sorry, I had to call him out on that. Um, you know, I, I think Wakabi and Mbaku would both make a fine fine uh, new Black Panthers if you use either one of them. So I think that's going to kind of wash on that. Um, I guess what decided it for me, um, Cody picked up on something that I thought right away when I heard it. Uh, was about he's just pitching Civil War again. I know Kirk said in his closing, he he did say that, you know, he wants it to mirror Civil War, but the beginning with the, the uh, he's on a diplomatic thing and it's assassination, they're trying to find out who did it, and it, it just struck me as too similar, so I did go with Cody. Okay. Um, I thought that this was really good, and I, I agree that the pitches are similar, but I found enough differences in them that, like, I, I find both movies intriguing. Like, I would like to see both versions of this. Um, and ultimately with pitches, I have to hear everything that everybody's saying, the arguments and at the end of the day, they have to sell me on which version of the movie. And I, I'm picking which movie I want to see. And I thought that Cody did a good job of doing, um, of explaining to me, like why, um, in, uh, the thing that I didn't think he was going to do, like M'Baku, like giving away the Black Panther, like he turned it down in the first movie. Like that was really strong for me because I didn't even think of that one so that was a really good point that cody brought up uh, but at the end of the day i actually went with kirk because i really liked kirk's entire pitch about um namor not being the villain and how he would come in helping them find out um who performed this assassination and i i like the whole angle of like the political climate stuff of like every time the wakandans go into public one of them dies something tragic happens so like the 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 stress of like 
putting down the bo- like taking the closing the borders and like the story elements that come with that i think would be really strong so although it is similar to civil war i didn't find it that similar to civil war in the end like that 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 point didn't really work for me um so at the end of the day i went with uh kirk i thought it was i thought it was both were good pitches but i I liked kirk's a little bit more so uh brooklyn you get to decide this one another um so if we're if like of the movies that I want to watch, I actually really want to watch Kirk's movie, but I'm giving my point to Cody. Um, I agree with Brian. The Civil War thing was kind of Cody's like, get over here kind of moment, uh, where it was like it caught Kirk on the back foot, and he was kind of like kind of kind of stuck on that stuck on that phase. And then Cody just did a really good job in the closing of hammering hammering home his points, and that <laughs> although it's like 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 it's similar to what's uh, what other things have been going on in the MCU? Um, like it's it's still going to be good. So, okay. Uh, so Cody goes up two um, points. So we are going to get into the next question, which is going to be a uh, category drafted by Kirk. Uh, this was in the category, the fandom category of Star Trek. So your question is, what is the best performance in a scene from an original? series crew member in star trek one through six uh so kirk you are going to get to open this one you have one minute to open your argument when you start talking Okay, the uh, the moment I picked uh, was Leonard Nimoy's Spock in Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country, and his mind meld with Lieutenant Valeris. Uh, Leonard Nimoy's always had the biggest challenge in this movie because he plays a character who has emotions uh, but can't show those emotions. So the mind felt he has to watch as an actor at all times um, has been, you know, I, I think is very challenging. Uh, but uh, I think it's the strongest in this scene. Um, you see uh, his relationship with Valerius is set up through the movie. It's somebody he he's come to depend on. Uh, he wants her to replace him. Um, he is he, to him. He's he, he's his. She is his future. She is the future of the Enterprise of the Federation. Uh, and at the end, when she lets him down, um, you see um, you, that that facade comes down just enough where you can see the uh, some of the emotion, the 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 the, the disappointment, the anger, um, and but at the same time, the restraint as Spock, as the Vulcan, I think it's a very well done and very uh, nuanced scene. Time. Okay. Uh, We're going to move over to Cody. Cody, you have one minute when you start talking to open your argument. Um, So I went with DeForest Kelly, uh, Dr. Leonard McCoy in uh, The Final Frontier when he's talking to Cybok about his father and his father's dying. I think it's just an actual real emotion. Again, I think most of the most of the original trilogy has bad acting throughout it. I just don't think they're very good. Um, but this is one of those moments that it kind of like lifts up and like gets out of a Star Trek movie and has like a real moment. Even though there's still sci-fi elements and still stuff happening, he's like able to have like a real emotion blaming himself, like basically dealing with the repercussions of like his father. Um, I think it's just a an emotional scene. It's a scene that uh, one of the first Star Trek movies that ever like made me move and make me feel something and the loss of a father um, and you're the son 
and had a relationship. It's just, it's an amazing scene. Done. Okay. All right. Uh, gentlemen, five minute freeform when one of you starts talking. I would say uh, your scene has a lot of like emotion built into it. Just a father watching our son watching a father die. Obviously, there's emotion there. Um, but the Forrest Kelly does a lot of Star Trek acting in this scene. Um, you watch him at the beginning. He's already he, he's pissed at Cyborg for everything he's doing, and then it uh, goes right into the vision of his father. And his emotion doesn't change there at all. Like he, he keeps that same face, that same tone, that same tone of voice as from when he was talking to Cyborg to when he's standing over his father. Uh, the the emotion doesn't change until Cyborg uh, grabs him and he does that. Yes, no, yes, and that's like Star Trek acting 101. You talk about the bad acting in Star Trek. That's right there. My scene doesn't have as much emotion on the surface, but I think Nimoy's performance pulls so much emotion out of it from what's not necessarily there, not maybe not as relatable uh, on the page, uh, but he brings so much more performance, so much gravitas, so much emotion to it. I appreciate you getting ahead of the Star Trek acting when you're literally talking about Spock in a scene, then trying to tell me that he's showing emotion. Because, um, tell me, a cardboard cutout is basically the same thing. He does it in multiple movies of it, multiple different people. He shows that glimpse of emotion, that, that glimpse of like having that moment. He shows it in Wrath of Khan. He shows it in uh, uh, Search for Spock. Like, those moments exist throughout so i don't i was having a really trouble trying to decide different between this because maybe valeris has like different moments with him that it draws the emotion but i think deforest kelly does switch the emotion very well especially when he's angry at cyborg and then he's angry about what he's about what he's losing there as his father i think it's a real emotion i think it's real emotion. like yes is it star trek acting well i god i hope so because that's kind of the movie he's in but like at the end of the day i think it comes across the scene where it is real emotion real heart there so he can have those star trek moments but if it has real emotions it goes above the star trek line. you you say it's ho you hope it's star trek acting but beginning you said how bad star trek acting is so i agree most of it is so if this is if you're saying yeah i hope my scene is star trek acting you're saying it's not very good spock does have these moments and i had to pick i had to pick a spock moment because you're right and i said it at the beginning spock does have these moments throughout but i think this is the best because they develop this relationship better than any other relationship he had has in the movies and it builds this moment and her betrayal and you do see that emotion you do see that kind of like deflating and it's it's the deflating but he knows he can't show it but he's feeling it and that's the struggle you have there the force kelly could show all the emotion he wants but he's he's he, he he's flat he goes from talking to cyborg about taking over the enterprise to stand over his father and in those moments he does i swear to you he does not change there's no change yeah. there until cyborg grabs him and he starts the yelling and then and, wow. the, and the shatter like act well, I have seen it, so I, I I would disagree with you on that one. But the thing is, I don't I when you say that, Valeria, but I think he shows more emotions when he's with Kirk, the person that he's actually shared more screen time with, that you actually have that developed relationship where they don't start off and you have those emotions throughout the films when he actually has those real emotions towards him. I think yours is just the same spot kind of moment that you like if you like Star Trek to an extent, but if you like the the, the slow speaking the slow speaking Spock, he doesn't rise above. This is best acting in a thing. This isn't like best Star Trek. Like this isn't the best Star Trek character because if he did, you'd win. But my viewpoint of it is he doesn't he doesn't change anything of being Spock throughout the entire thing. You even said he you don't see the emotional like 
that you can connect with. Correct. I said that's not on the page. I said that emotion is not on the page. I said he brings it to the scene in his. He doesn't, bro. If you're saying if you're saying my character doesn't leave Cybac to his father and stays the same way, and you're going to argue that Spock does, that's just you're you're being boatman. You see, you you see that you see that moment where he he he, he, you see the anger simmering on the surface, and then he takes out that moment where he grabs her and pulls her and yanks her into that mind meld. I mean, you see that kind of like short burst of emotion, and then he starts, and, and you see he's almost she's trembling in that scene as he's going through that and figuring that out, and and um, she has most of the dialogue, and it's just him reacting, him looking at her, and that disappointment, that hurt, that betrayal that he feels is all there. You don't get that emotion from you, the emotion comes after Sp- Cybok pulls him around and he's shaking him, and, and Cybok's drawn up. When he's standing over his father, the moment with his father, there's barely any emotion. There's weeping, there's sadness, there's tears. No You're tears. you so, I, you know what I think thank you for saying that. You did you did. You picked the wrong person. You should have picked Valera. That's the person that's given the better of performance in that scene. Spock's just doing so you're, you're giving me you're giving me you're complaining about mine using certain dialogue, but you're doing the person that doesn't say anything but does it all facial action. Facial acting, please get out of here. Like that's I just said, I never said facial acting. Time, 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 time. Body language. It doesn't count. Don't make don't make me wake up my wife for yelling at you. okay. So we are gonna start with Cody. Cody, you have one minute to close your argument when you start talking. DeForest Kelly, a character that's kind of a comedic character throughout the series of this, and he basically has one of the heartfelt moments in a very bad movie. Um, basically angry with Cybok and losing of his father and angry that he couldn't have saved him and he couldn't have prevented it. You see the rage, you see the anger, you see the sadness throughout the scene. It's a character that rises above a Star Trek movie. It almost doesn't have that character like built-in character acting of who he is. It's the one thing that stands out from all the other movies. He picked the character that's next to him that's acting better than him and he's not she doesn't he doesn't have most of the dialogue he doesn't have anything but the facial the the movements he's making makes you just fall in love with it it's academy award winning this is kirk size i'm so confused he picks spock he's gonna pick spock in different movies especially with kirk that actually has real emotions that he actually has connections you don't have enough time to connect to this character in this movie so overall i think deforest kelly knocks it out of the park in my movie my okay uh, we're going to move over to Kirk. Kirk, you have one minute when you start talking. Again, it's funny to me that Cody said that um, Star Trek acting is usually bad, but his performance is the most Star Trek-like. Uh, my my uh, performance, like I said, there's not as much on the page. DeForest Kelly had every uh, opportunity here to give a great performance, and he just does not rise to the, to the occasion. Uh, there is no tears. There is no great anger or sobbing or sadness over his father. Uh, he's pretty much one note throughout the scene. Uh, Spock, like I said, uh, Leonard Nimoy has that challenge of emotion, but understand he has to hold back the emotion and you know doing all that in the acting performance. Uh, he does that so well. You see, like I said, you have that that physical indication where he grabs her, he holds her. Um, yes, in that moment of the scene, she's doing most of the talking, uh, but at the same time, Spock is uh, doing uh, most of the acting, uh, giving a great performance, great final performance uh, in this. Uh, wraps up his character in this. Are there better Spock scenes? Maybe. And all those Spock scenes are better than what DeForest Kelly does here. Uh, Spock is is great in the scene, uh, much better than DeForest Kelly, anything he did. Okay. 
bringing you, bringing you, bringing you, and you. Okay. Okay, judges, how do we feel? Are we good? Good. Yes. Okay. Uh, Brooklyn, I believe you're kicking this one off. Uh, yeah, I think I'm going to go with Kirk on this one. Um, I think Kirk just really kind of showed his his strength in Star Trek. Um, I understand the approach that Cody went for where it's like it's not ne- like it's not necessarily appealing to like the mass audience outside of the Star Trek fandom. Um, but I think uh, I think by the time he caught up, it just wasn't enough. Okay, Brian, where are you going? Um, I think we got caught up in the weeds a little bit about, you know, what was the better scene or what was the most emotional scene or whose was more emotion. And I think that was not the question. It's best performance uh, in, in a Star Trek. And uh, for me, I thought uh, actually Kirk did a better job with that because I think he he, show, he told us and explained and showed us how that uh, Leonard Nimoy was able to convey and show emotion from a character who is known for being emotionless. So just in, this, in subtle ways, he was able to still convey that. I think it's a great performance. Yeah, and uh, this is the first clean sweep of the match because I also went with Kirk for pretty much all the reasons you did. I thought Cody did a good job because on paper, anything from the Final Frontier has no business being a part of this. <laughs> but um, actually watching the scenes and looking at them, like Cody picked a really good scene. I thought it was, I thought it was a really good choice to go with. Um, but I think Kirk did an excellent job. Uh, describing his scene and the performance and just absolutely tearing down DeForest Kelly. Um, so yeah. I also agree. I also agree. Which is really good. <laughs> All right. So Kirk is on the board, but Cody is up two to one. So we are going to get into the next question. This is the, are we on the fourth one already? Jesus. Yeah. Okay. That's yeah. nuts. We are flying right along. So we're going to get into the next one, uh, which was drafted by Mr. Newberry. Did not draft this I didn't draft this. What you're making us do draft? I drafted something else, but you made me draft this. You draft about comedy, this. right? What are you talking? Yeah, about? Yeah, and I don't know if these both qualify, but we'll talk about <laughs> it. Anyway. So, like, so yeah, showing the hand a little bit. This question is: uh, What is the worst comedy from the 2010s? So, uh, Cody, yes, you get to start this one. You have one minute when you start talking. You know what I love? I love dogs. I love horses. I love a lot of different animals. You know what I don't love? Cats! Don't love cats! And guess what? I don't love this movie. Uh, Cats is by far the worst movie of the 2010s and possibly of the last 20 years. This movie as a whole doesn't work comedically, doesn't work as a director, like director doesn't know what they're doing. Editor, CGI person should be fired. There are so many things. This musical aspect doesn't work. Nothing in this film. Nothing in this film works. It is terrifying. It is like very frightening to see. Um, they wouldn't know comedic timing in this movie if it hit them in the face. Cats is by far one of the worst abominations. I thought about throwing this question instead of watching it. But I'm a psychopath. I'm... Did you watch it? Yes. <laughs> All right. Uh, Kirk, we're going to go to you. You have one minute to open your argument when you start talking. 
Uh, when you think about worst comedies of 2010, you're going to think about your mind goes right to Happy Madison. What was the worst Happy Madison movie? Um, I think without a doubt it was Jack and Jill. Um, when you ask these kind of questions, worst comedy, is it worst comedy or is it worst movie that happens to be a comedy? I think Jack and Jill qualifies both. Um, it's not funny. The comedy is lazy. It's mean spirited. Um, and just as a as a as a movie, uh, it's very cheaply made. It's just product placement. It's another excuse for Adam Sandler and his friends to go on vacation and have the movie theater pay for, or the movie company pay for it. Um, there is no redeeming qualities this movie was. Uh, like I said, it's not. You can't watch it as just. It's not so bad. It's good. It's just bad. Um, it's just poorly made. Like I said, tons of Adam Seller plays a ad executive, so he could cram as much product placement into the movie as possible. Um, the movie is cheap. Uh, the, the the casting decisions are poor um, from beginning to end. It's just a really, really bad comedy and a really, really bad movie. Okay. All right. Seen both of these. Have fun. Listen, Jack and Jill is just Adam Sandler in this age and everybody's saying it's terrible. I've seen the film not as bad as everybody claims it to be. Is it product placement? Absolutely. Am I giving it high star rating after this? Absolutely not. But what I will say is everybody in this movie at least knows what comedic timing is and at least some jokes can hit. There's some moments that you can laugh. There's a little kid in this movie, Rohan, uh, Ronan Chahad. I don't know how to pronounce his name. He is hilarious throughout this film. He has great moments. He has comedic gags. Again, it, they're both terrible movies. We're not going to argue that one is like an Oscar-winning thing. But my movie is a cat that overall should be the funniest of the two because how ridiculous they look, but they're not re funny ridiculous. They're terrifying. They scare you. There's not even people, they put James Corden in this movie. There are people that don't even work comedically. And when we think of the overall comedic or movie, I think movie, it's the worst of the thing. This has production value that they don't even know what to do with. Okay. I, I want to say this. Um, cats, when you when you pet cats, I thought mm, he's kind of maybe. I mean, I know technically it's it's listed as comedy, but that might be a little. But I said I'm not going to fight this. You know why? Because Absolutely. you picked the funnier movie by a mile. My daughter and I went to see this movie opening weekend, and we laughed the entire time. Intent is not a, an issue here. It's not a matter of what, whether they meant to be funny. The movie is funny because it is so crazy, because it's so bad. It's like a crazy acid trip, and it's hilarious. It's 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 fun to watch. It's like a room type of movie where you just watch it because it's so bad. It's funny. It's funny because of that. Like I said, intent is irrelevant. Jack and Jill is meant to be funny. None of it is funny. It, all the jokes fall flat. It's cheap. If you the, the only the only the only part of this movie that looks good are the parts that got paid for. When they go when they basically pause the movie for a Royal, Royal Caribbean cruise uh, commercial and like have them walk through the ship and talk about all the great things in the ship. That's the only time the movie looks good. You okay. the, those basketball scenes when they're like they're supposed to be at a stadium. And they're like in a box. It's horrible. Okay. Listen, this isn't about what uh, the Kolakowskis went out and listened to their watched their movie together and laughed their asses off. I watched it. I had a horrible experience. This is a movie that has production by one of the longest running Broadway musicals of all time, and it doesn't. It does have comedic moments. It does have jokes that are built in there, and they don't hit for any means whatever. The problem also is that this is supposed to be considered a movie. They can't get the CGI of the cats to even work in this film. No one can act whatsoever in this. 
your movie at least has Pacino and you can say what you will. He's at least funny throughout the movie. He has at least moments that breaks the weird thing between him, the two Sandlers battling back and forth with who has the most ridiculous voice. I'm telling you right now, Adam Sandler is terrible in the 2010s, but you're overselling how bad the movie is because you know it's the rated the lowest. But overall, it is not as bad. It's quick, it's easy, it's out there, and it falls in line with every other Adam Sandler movie. Okay, let me. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll let, give me a little time here. First of all, you say how bad the CGI. I just is. gave you a lot. You, you say how bad the CGI is. The CGI is bad. Yeah, that's hilarious. When they're supposed to be cats and you can see the human hands, that is funny. That's hilarious. No, it's not. Now the, the thing is, like you said, uh, Broadway play. Um, some of the stuff, the music in this movie is really good. Like it has, like you have like memories when she sings memories, and that's great. Like there's some really good music in this movie. The choreography in this movie is really good. So we're talking about overall movie. There's stuff in this movie that you can latch on to as a movie. But like I said, it's funny. All that stuff you're talking about is hilarious. The fact that they rushed this movie out and put this movie on the screen is hilarious. My movie is uh, Pacino is funny as a meme. In the movie, he is not funny. He's funny as a meme. He's in the movie. It's like, oh, I'm El Pacino. I'm attracted to Adam Sandler dressed as a woman. Isn't that hilarious? That's the entire joke. Of El so guess what? The crazy thing is, comedy is subjective. But if we're if we're boiling down movie for movie, yours falls in line with every Adam Sandler movie. It is not as bad. It's a situational comedy that actually works in certain moments. Doesn't work in all moments. It doesn't. It has hits and misses. But overall, Cats doesn't work from start to finish. You can sell me that you think the songs are good. They are sung by people that should not be singing the Broadway musicals. James Corden is through this. They have uh, Jason Derulo, Taylor Swift, people that can't even act through this. I know you had a giggle fest, but overall for a movie that ran, a Broadway play that ran as long as it did and failed on every level, that they even had to go for cheap cat gags to make people laugh and they miss because they don't understand comedic timing to save the life is a real problem. Yours... Lease has actors that know comedic timing. They're able to deliver something that makes they, they somebody they laugh use, occasionally. They don't use it. Yes. Well, you don't laugh. <laughs> I did a cat. <laughs> I did a cat. You're a psychopath. Psychopath. Strike it, gentlemen. Oh, I was so entertained. I grabbed some licorice for this one. This is this is fucking great. Uh, okay. We are going to go to Kirk. Kirk, you will have one minute to close your argument when you start talking. Okay, Cody has a personal thing against cats. I understand. That's what seems to be where this whole argument comes from. I'm sorry about that. But it is what it is. Um, but everything Cody said here, like there's so much in this movie that makes it funny. Like I said, intent in Cats makes it funny. Intent is not an issue here. Like, you know, people go to see The Room. The Room is like this huge comedy, even though it wasn't meant to be. This movie is funny. The bad CGI is funny. The weird cat action is funny. Uh, Happy Madison, yeah, there are a lot of bad movies. But Adam, Sand but Adam Sandler is bad. And uh, yeah, I could have picked other ones. I picked this one because it's the worst one. Um, comedy is subjective. But you have comedy, um, 
that is mean-spirited, it's ableist, it's homophobic, um, it's transphobic. Uh, and then you have, uh, just like I said, it's, it's just so cheap. Like it's just, it's all that product play, with the Pepto-Bismo, the shift, everything. It's just so, it's such a poorly made movie. The craftsmanship is bad. It's a bad comedy, but it's also really bad to watch as a movie in both sense. My movie has some fun stuff in it, the music, the choreography, uh, plus again, very unintentionally hilarious. Time. Okay. We're gonna move over to Cody. Cody, you have one minute to close your argument when you start talking. The rolling endorsement of the Kolakowskis to say went to a movie and it was funny, so that has to clearly be better than the movie that he picked. Listen, you went to a movie with this Dennis Dugan and you thought you were going to walk out with the same. It's the same comedies that are grown-ups too, or That's My Boy. They fall in the same lane. They have their own audience. They work for the people. I watched it. I didn't want to rip my eyeballs out. Take that as an overall win. I don't think either one. This movie came out with an actual director that has musical chops, has a, a musical based on it that could work with comedy beats throughout this entire movie that's supposed to be funny because, yes, they're cats. It's They know they're ridiculous looking, but it, it's horrifying. They miss every element. The songs don't sound good. He says it is. The production value and like where the city is built up, that even is an abomination. There are so many missteps throughout this entire movie, that, and it's supposed to be of this level of a movie that gets you out of the house to go see, and it falls on every note. They look bad. They're not funny. It's garbage. Time. Oh, man. All right. I had a lot of fun with that one. <laughs> oh, my God. All right. Are you good, judges? Yeah. All right. Um, like I said, thought this was really fun. Um Cody went about this pretty much exactly the way that uh, I thought he was going to. And I'm glad Kirk didn't fight the it's not a comedy thing because it was accepted. It was listed on there. So I was relieved to hear that. And I thought that Kirk's approach to this was very interesting, saying, like, intent is, is doesn't matter here. Uh, it doesn't matter if this was intended to not be funny. Uh, this it, It's fucking funny. I thought, and then I thought that it was weird and funny that Cody was like, well, it doesn't matter if the Kolakowski's funny, but uh, I didn't want to rip my eyes out during Jack and Joe. I'm like, Cody, that's the same thing. Uh, but Kirk never said that, so it was, it was tough. This was really – I think this was probably the closest one so far. I went with Kirk, but again, I think it was really close. I just think that, like – Kirk had a really good defense against everything negative that Cody had to say about um, cats. And I thought that his, the, the offense was just a little bit stronger on the other side. So the, it, it was, it was really, really close, but at the end of the day, I, this, this is probably my favorite fight so far that we've had in this match. I thought, I thought it was really good. Brooklyn, uh, let's go to you where you vote and why. Uh, I've also went with Kirk. Um, I'll keep it short and sweet. I talked I talked before the match, how, Kirk has this like un swagger and he's just uninterested. He kind of proved that with like their the intent doesn't matter here. Like like if you can, he sold that he sold that pitch for me. And like even though the the equilibrium to the room is borderline cliche, uh, it still works. All right, Brian, uh, your vote doesn't count this time. Where would you have gone and why? 
Well, Kirk is right in that Cats is the far funnier movie uh, for unintentional reasons. Um, my problem was the question is not which is the least funny movie, it's which the worst comedy. And for me, the worst movie that is a comedy was Cats. So I said Cody. Okay. So uh, Kirk wins that point. But that means we are all tied up, people, two to two, and we're going into the final prep question. So this does mean we will be going to the speed round for at least one question as we get into your uh, fourth or your fifth prep question. So this was drafted by Kirk. It is in the category of horror. And your question is, who is the dumbest character in a Romero dead film? So, uh, Kirk, you get to kick this one off. You got one minute when you start talking. In a Romero zombie movie or any zombie movie, uh, you see a lot of characters do a lot of things um, that when faced with the unspeakable and un unfathomable horror of the dead rising and coming to kill you, um, they may make some mistakes, some bad decisions, and it may lead to bad things happen to them. Um, but I don't necessarily think that makes them a stupid person, a dumb person, an unintelligent person. I think it's just not being able to handle the horror. It's natural human state. So I was a character who um, had the opportunity to do smart things and was dumb every time. I went with Captain Rhodes from Day of the Dead. Uh, Captain Rhodes is a man who has, in this within this movie, has the ability and the resources uh, at his command to uh, actually make improvements make headways against the zombies he's not it's not he's not being faced with it in the moment he's not face to face with a zombie at all moments and just trying to survive he is surviving and he has the opportunity to move beyond and uh, in a lot of ways he just i'll talk about all the dumb things he does that really make him within the eyes of a romero movie a stupid person a dumb person time all right you guys are very gentle with the time today i like it uh cody one minute to open your argument when you start talking So he's right. There's a lot of stupid people throughout these movies. Probably also the director Romero for making them because he got too much praise for these garbage movies. Anyways, I went with a guy named Mike. Who have Mike from Land of the Dead? And I'll tell you why I went with Mike. Zombies have been around for a real fucking long time at this point. These fuckers go into a liquor store and he gets jumped. Well, one of them gets jumped by a zombie. So the zombies are present. And then when they're exiting the same liquor store, he's like, hey, dipshit, this guy, which I think is, uh, I'll think of the actor in between. There's an actor that tells him, hey, go get this beer. He reaches behind a dark bar with no electricity whatsoever to grab this without flashlight, without any sorts of looking. And he gets bit by a zombie and killed for booze. In a zombie apocalypse, he should have just shot himself. Dumbass. Oh my god. Oh, oh and Kirk. I win. No. Well, I'm gonna argue five minutes right now if he doesn't show up. I'm fucking... All right, we're back. Uh, so both players have heard the openings. Uh, we are now gonna get into the five minute free form. Gentlemen, you have five minutes. When one of you starts talking. I would say um, 
the thing you left off is John Leguizamo's character. That's the one that he's with. Um, yeah, the zombies have been um, around for a while. And the part of the, the town they're in here, um, he's with two guys, John, with John Leguizamo and, his, and another character, uh, both who have been doing this for a while, going to these towns, doing these kind of raids. Um, they've cleared the room. As far as he knows, these more experienced people have cleared the room. He basically trusted them too much. That was his mistake. I don't know if that makes him stupid. He trusted these guys who've done this a hundred times. And and he and he reaches and he makes one mistake he does. I don't think that makes him the stupidest person in any one of these movies. The fact he trusts somebody again, they're under pressure. It's tense, and they are going to you know um, you know he might not think things out as much. But he trusted these two people who had cleared the bar already, cleared the space. He he thought they had it out, and it didn't work out for him. That doesn't make him stupid. He just made a mistake. Sir, yeah. that is incorrect. In that scene, he gets John Leguizamo's character gets attacked by a zombie, and while they're exiting that exact scene, he's in there the entire time with them. And he goes, "Oh, by the way, grab that!" And he just literally leaps over, doesn't even look, just reaches over and gets bit and has yeah, to die because this. they have him under the impression oh, that the threat is on. over. Well, that's not what they say. Oh, I mean, anyways, the one person I can idolize in any of these movies is not dumb. It is Captain Rhodes in your movie. Captain Rhodes is the most justified person in any of these movies. He gets put into this bunker and has to defend these scientists that don't know, just like Ian Malcolm said, they practice some shit, they didn't know what they had before they did it. This is the clean example. They feed one of his fallen soldiers, one of his fallen soldiers, to a zombie for, so them, for them to work on him? Yeah, of course yeah, he I, loses his shit and he kills him. He kills him and he deserves to kill him. A dead, a dead body. He kill. He feeds the zombie a dead body that to, which is so his that's, fallen that's, member. That's, that's, yeah, but he's dead. That's the thing. Captain Rhodes cannot. Captain Rhodes is a science denier. He has the science. He has people working with him who are trying to, uh, who are trying to advance the understanding of zombies, and it's working. They're doing the job. If they continue to move on, if they continue to move on, and if they continue to in that track, if they let a lot of them work, they can overcome these zombies, and they can do they can do these things. He he puts a stop to that. He puts he has people. He has intelligent people who he does not work with. He has a pilot that he puts at risk. His helicopter pilot. He has um he ha he puts stupid people in charge. He gives them authority, makes them dangerous, ends up bringing down the entire place. Captain Rhodes, you can say you idolize him before this, but you, there's no reason to he's the dumbest person he has the opportunity to improve life in this situation his with his authority Listen. and his his resources he could do that and he shoots himself in the foot every time he shoots people around him in the foot he yeah. makes things worse it's not just one dumb decision like, oh my god what am i gonna do it's dark i, I oh i got bit hold on it's not that he does dumb thing after dumb thing it's after not even the dumbest dumb person thing. in that movie it's a scientist that actually works on the zombie and makes the zombie able to shoot a gun at one point do you realize how stupid that is now we've armed the undead and that's who you didn't pick you pick the guy that's justified that we shouldn't be working on these zombies and we shouldn't, we should just start mowing them down and killing all of them. But instead, no. hold on, you, you, you got to talk for a long time. You can talk for a long time. You're because you don't. Shut your Good. mouth. Shut your mouth. You got to talk for a long time. My thing is, they're working on a scientist. They're working on these uh, zombies, which they should not work on because they know they're undead. They should shoot them and move on. But instead, he's using one of his fallen compadres to eat and feed up. You, my guy literally does not use any common sense, any logic, any brains whatsoever, looks through, and literally gets bit. John Leguizamo, you trust the guy too much. John Leguizamo almost dies in the beginning of the scene because he doesn't realize there's a zombie there. Busman not doing it that fucking long. Mike just trusts a moron. So that makes him even dumber. 
you talk, you want to talk about the science? You talk about the scientist being dumb. The scientist is doing exactly what needs to be done. He didn't train the zombies to use the guns. He realized that the zombies will be able to use guns. What plays out in your movie? He is he realizes that these zombies are going to get smart and that we may be able to communicate with them, work with them, and bring an end to this. That's what he's trying to do. And Captain Rhodes prevents it from happening. Captain, Captain Rhodes prevents Rhodes. Captain Rhodes. I know you talked a lot. I, I get to talk now. He, Captain Rhodes prevents them from prevents the advancement of science to see to to see what we can do to bring about the end of this. That's what the science is working on. How do we end the zombie apocalypse? And Captain Rhodes throws a roadblock after roadblock after roadblock after roadblock against these scientists to keep them from doing it. And we see the by the time we get to your movies, the the the, the, the scientists in Day of the Dead were one hundred percent correct. They were one hundred percent right. Correct. So. So they and, didn't, and, but they didn't. The thing is, they're able to get guns, and he pricks one, and he ends up dying because of it. Because of that damn dumb scientist. The dumbest person is in your movie, not my movie. My movie is a guy that trusts dumbasses and ends up getting himself killed. Time. <laughs> I want to look at the time he talked for like four minutes. I'm just saying. <laughs> Cody, you get to go first. Uh, you have one minute to close your argument when you start talking. Kirk, Kirk even says it in mind that he he trusted the people to clear the room because they've been doing it a while. So that means he trusted a bunch of dumbasses because he's more of a dumbass to go grab liquor behind the bar that no one saw and got bit. And then he dies a moments later because he can't be alive because he's a zombie. Captain Rhodes has put in this thing to guard these scientists that are working on the undead to say whatever to try to communicate with them. But guess what happens at the end of it? They all break out and they eat fucking everybody because they couldn't do it. Because Captain Rhodes is the lo most logical one, but no one wants to believe him. And he's angry because these scientists get away with everything and able to just do what they want. Why? His men have to take all the the guns and the chaperone. They have to get eaten by the zombies to save their asses. He's the smart one. The scientists are the dumbasses in these movies, and they're the frustrating ones because they're just trying to. He's just trying to tell them that this is pointless, and he loses his shit and shoots the scientist, which is the smartest move in the entire thing. Should have killed them a lot sooner, dumbass. <laughs> just the added. Dumbass at the end that made me laugh. All right, Kirk, you got one minute when you start talking. The scientists who ended up being proven right were the stupid ones that should have been killed. Trudy could have fit in well to Trump rally with these ideas. Um, the reasons the scientists at the end break, or the zombies break out at the end, is because of the actions of Captain Rhodes. Captain Rhodes, he he kills all the scientists who are working on this uh, on the zombies. He puts stupid soldiers in charge of the zombies and that allow them to be released. Mike makes one mistake in a high stress situation. Was it a smart decision? No, but he made one mistake. Captain Rhodes makes mistake after mistake, mistake. Like I said, he denies science. He denies the science that that is proven to be right by the end of the series. He he puts his trust and faith and gives authority to the wrong people. He is antagonistic towards the right people, towards his pilot, towards engineers, towards people who actually can help him and do things. He puts them in danger. In the eyes of a Romero movie, Captain Rhodes is the dumb person. Mike is just a poor sap who was in the wrong place at the wrong time, made a bad choice. Captain Rhodes is the truly stupid, dumb person. Time. All right. Grr. Motherfucking grr. Mondays. Does anybody else get the impression that Kirk was told to be quiet? 
Oh, 100%. I, I want a decibel challenge. He was also possessed. But well, it, it almost made it creepier. He's, he's, he's really no, it was awesome. Like, <laughs> I, like, man, I would hate to, I would hate to be I one of I can't wait till the crowd like, at Mayhem just sees the lights just <laughs> fucking possessed by the devil in his house. Don't go to Pittsburgh, people. All right. Um, Brian, I believe you're going first on this one. This is the one where I had the hardest time making a choice. Because um, I think that, that Kirk made a good point about Cody's, where it's that this is a guy who, you know, he, he made a stupid mistake. He, he did a dumb thing, but it was just one thing. Whereas his guy made mistake after mistake after mistake. Cody hit back uh, and he pointed out very validly how Kirk's isn't even the dumbest person in his movie because, you know, you know, the, people who are arming the zombies and the people who you know are making bigger mistakes and the, and the fact that he shot these scientists is probably the smartest move they made that those are good points as well um so but while i while i agree they might not be the dumbest person in this movie i think between the two of them i think that kirk's was dumber okay this was this was weird. <laughs> this, this was like this was like the Kurosawa one. We're going into it. I was like, Cody, like Kirk's probably gonna win this one. And then I'm like, oh, I thought Cody did a really good job. Um, and I think Cody did do a fantastic job here. He convinced, and I haven't seen either of these movies, so I don't know shit. I was just completely going off the arguments. Um, so I think that Cody did a really good job explaining why his character was a dumbass. Uh, and why it made no sense why uh, like why he, he in this situation where the zombies have been around forever that like this this would happen this way uh, but I agree with Brian that between the two of them I think Kirk did the better job um, explaining that between these two characters why his character in his movie is a huge dumbass because he had all of the tools and necessary stuff to make a difference and didn't and in the context of that film was a big old dumbass so uh brooklyn uh your vote doesn't count where were you going and why uh this almost could have been a clean sweep but i ended up going with cody at the end um i i hadn't seen either of these films so it was also based on how the kool-aid was made um and i thought cody i thought cody's logical points with it were, were really good and that his his just like his justification with everything given in the movie i thought kirk did a really good freaking job and i feel like that point at the end where like hindsight hindsight in the series of the movies is like it it's still movie evidence i just i don't know for some reason, I just ended up going with Cody. Okay. All right. So that means Kirk is up three to two as we head into the speed round. So uh, here's how this is going to work. Uh, I have randomized the cat or the war zone and fandom to choose which one is going to go first. Um, so we are going to have the first one first. Uh, if Cody hits that, we will be tied and we will move on to the final one. But if Kirk hits the first speed round question, he will retain the title. So how the speed round is going to work, I am going to say a question. I'm going to say what category it's from, and then the question. I will then repeat the question. After I've said it a second time, gentlemen, you can answer the question. Once you have your answer, say it. Um, if you answer first, you will be going first in the round as well. So um, there will be 45 seconds for you guys to open, followed by a 30-second rebuttal 
Uh, gentlemen, do you have any questions about how this is going to work? Okay. So, the first of the speed round questions is coming from the world of fandom in the category of Planet of the Apes. Oops. Fuck. And the question is, who is the best human character in a Planet of the Apes film? So again, the question, who is the best human character in a Planet of the Apes film? Can you say it one more time? Who is the best human character in a Planet of the Apes film? Yeah, uh, James Franco. Okay. From Rise. If you He's a character? Know. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, I, I got uh, His name is Will. Will Rodman. <laughs> I'm also using a uh, human, or the actor's name. I'm going to say Woody Harrelson. Okay. All right. So I'm going to take out uh, Brooklyn and Brian. I will stay on screen to give you guys your warnings. So, Cody, you are going to be going first. You will have 45 seconds to start whenever you are ready. Will is the best character, human character in the Planet of the Apes films because he's able to build a real relationship with Caesar and realizes when it's time to let Caesar go. He builds up a character arc that you see emotional why his father is going through Alzheimer's and he's trying to find the cure. He's being selfish. He's keeping him around for his own kind of approval. But when Caesar's time to go, Caesar is the, the reason to go. I think Woody Harrelson's by far the worst one because they brush a villain in the third movie to make him this big baddie, but he really isn't the baddie he just he he goes out anticlimactic he doesn't have those real moments of anything he shows fear at the start but he loses it really quick because i don't think the filmmakers knew exactly what to do with the big baddie because the apes were the important part in the third one will is consistent throughout his movie kirk 45 seconds Both of our characters are in one movie, so I don't see how one could be rushed and the other couldn't. They're both uh, characters in one film. Uh, I went with Woody Harrelson as a colonel in uh, War for the Planet of the Apes. I just think he is a very well-developed villain. I think he's very interested. I think uh, the first two movies fail where it comes to a like human antagonist, uh, and I think this one does a really good job. Just He has that backstory of what he's lost, and he has that gravitas to him where you don't agree with what he's doing but you understand why he's doing it, and you know why he feels he's righteous and those are the best villains and villains who are righteous um james franco character is just kind of there um i mean that's you talk about somebody who's who's not there C caesar is the story of that movie and um, that's his origin story even more so than war um you know james franco is just there to be the human for him to play off on time cody 30 seconds when you're ready 
the reason why I say yours is rushed is because it is, yours is rushed because it's introduced very late in the film and doesn't get any like real traction to go with. And he goes out with the silence at the very end. It's kind of anticlimactic. Gary Oldman does a better portrayal of your character in an earlier movie and does it way better and explains why he's doing it. Mine is James Franco raises Caesar, continues through the entire thing, works with both elements of his raising raising Caesar and his father and figuring out the common good that apes aren't bad. He's throughout the entire film. He's the main protagonist with Caesar. Kirk, 30 seconds when you're ready. Gary Oldman might be the best character, but we're not talking about him. We've got two characters here, and I think my, both those characters are better than yours. Again, I mean, he's not rushed. He gets as much screen time as he needs to tell his story, and he goes out silently like that, kind of like Colonel Klutz, uh, or Colonel Klitz stories from uh, Apocalypse style. He has that kind of feel to him, that kind of gravitas. Doesn't need a big. Uh, he wasn't. A, he wasn't a boisterous character, so he did the big boisterous death. That's that that slow death uh, speaks volumes. James Franco is is there to raise Caesar for Caesar for everything to bounce off of. Caesar is not Caesar's the main character. He's the one that that story is about. It's not James Franco. Uh, it's not really the character. Not really the character. Striking from the record. Uh, okay, so we'll bring the judges. We're going to go there. I'm going to go there. Okay. Okay, uh, Brooklyn, I believe we are starting with you. Yeah, um, I'll go get mine another quick. I'll go with Cody. Um, I might be the minority of this, but I think Kirk spent too much time talking about Caesar. I, like the question was the best, like, the best human character, Planet of the Apes. I think that was just inefficient, but I could be wrong. Brian, um, I went either way. I went with Kirk. Um, while I uh, I agreed with uh, Cody that uh, you know. That Will was there to to you know raise Caesar as an important character in the movie. I think that uh, the Colonel was a better character, especially when you got into his backstory and, like you said, his gravitas and the emotion and his motivation for doing the way, things he's doing. Okay, um, I went with Cody. I thought that uh, Cody did a better job of explaining, like kind of like Brooklyn said, the human character part of it. The um, I thought I thought Kirk did a good job of explaining why the Colonel's a good villain. Um, but I think Cody did a better job overall of like the human character, what the human character is bringing to it, of helping raise Caesar, the emotional connection that uh, that James Franco brings to the movie, and that uh, Woody Harrelson's kind of entered late and is a little bit rushed. And I thought Kirk spent a little too much time focusing on that point of it being rushed and uh, didn't give enough about everything else about the character the way that Cody did. So I went with Cody, which means we're tied up and we're going to the last speed round. Oh, I, go. I, uh, I hate everything. Uh, so gentlemen, uh, good luck, <laughs> but here we go. So I'm going to take uh, the judges out again and I am going to give you guys, obviously this is coming from Warzone, and your question is coming from Sci-Fi Fantasy. And your question is, what is the best villain in a non-fandom sci-fi fantasy movie? So again, what is the best villain in a non-fandom sci-fi fantasy movie? T-1000, Judgment Day 2.
Google is loud, bro. Uh, I'm going to go Roy Batty, Blade Runner. Okay. So, Cody, you answered first. You're going to be going first. You have 45 seconds when you start talking. T-1000, I think, is by far the most villainous, scary character in a sci-fi film that's come out. He basically puts Arnold to the test. Everything he does, he basically trans can go through walls, melts down. Nothing can really stop him. He's constantly on the run. He has every moment that gives your heart pumping from the first Terminator and carries that same energy into the second one where he's able to do it. I don't think Roy Batty is that great of a villain at the time of the movie. I don't think that relies heavily on the villain. I think there's other sci-fi elements that work really well in that, but I think overall the T-1000 has this haunting presence that something that you can't stop can't shoot can't do anything and it keeps coming played by a great actor time kirk go ahead when, i have a clear question for clarification this is one movie right the question is best villain in a non-fandom sci-fi movie so what movie are you going with cody i said i said judgment day. he said judgment day okay all right okay Right. Okay, so whenever you're ready, Kirk. Okay, I'm sorry, Mr. Okay. Okay. Um, Roy Batty is just one of the most well-written, well-created characters, not just uh, villains, but characters in sci-fi movie ever. Uh, just the whole idea of the replicants and what they represent and what they, you know, about humanity and, you know, what are they? And that search for the soul. Again, that understanding of, you know, a sympathetic villain and understanding what they do. Um, he has the Tears from the Rain speech, which is one of the most famous and greatest tear uh, or, uh, speeches in movie history. Um, there's so much depth to this character. I think T-1000 is just a movie monster. Um, it's a continuation of T-800, which is a continuation of Freddy Krueger and Michael Myers and Jason Voorhees. It's just the unstoppable monster just keeps coming. There's not a real light, lot of depth there. It's just chasing after chasing. There's not a whole lot more to cling to than that. Time. All right, Cody, 30 seconds when you're ready. I think written well, fine, but overall car carries the weight of the villain and does that terrifying run throughout his character. I don't think that's what Roy Batty is. I think T-1000 has those premise, uh, those evil things. And yes, he has like the Jason Voorhees stuff, but those those people are scary and villainous for a reason. They are carried around, but this one's done in such a creative sci-fi way that he's able to not be stopped and move around and create that villain, that fear of the audience every time he shows up. The tears in the, the rain scene is great, but Overall, what is else that you right. do? All right, Kirk, 30 seconds when you're ready. I don't think the T-1000 is that creative. The shapeshifter has been done before. The unstoppable monster has been done before. Um, Roy Batty uh, is starting a new version of humanity, a new group uh, to rise up and take their place in humanity. Uh, is the T-1000 a better movie monster? Yes, but as far as a villain, his motivation is just one track. There's a lot of... Uh, a lot going on there. Uh, Roy Batty is a much deeper character, much deeper villain, much more interesting villain to watch. Um, like I said, he's not a monster, uh, but he's a much better villain. Time. Oh boy. All right. Take you out. Take you out. Add you. Add you. Grr again. 
Yes. Agreed. Great match, Cody. Same to you. We're going three more rounds. <laughs> Let's keep okay. going. Um, best of ten? No. <laughs> can you I'm, I, can you repeat the question again? Yes, that's your first repeat. Uh, best okay. villain in a non-fandom sci-fi movie. Hey, Cody. All right. Yeah, that's where I'm going. And if I'm not mistaken, I believe Brooke. No, am I starting no, this? I yes. I opened. Yeah, I opened last time. Two Tim. So it's me. Okay. Great. <laughs> so, so happy. Uh, okay. Please don't make me um, this is good because they kind of came from it from different perspectives. Because the the um, when when making these questions, I just said like I just want them to be like simple, like best, worst, this, blah, just like quick, something that you can pick right away. And I and they both kind of went opposite ends of the spectrum, and they both pointed those out to each other. That like Cody pointing out the T one thousand is is a movie. Yeah, Kirk like like Kirk said is a movie monster and is terrifying and scary and is chasing with heroes the whole time. And Kirk pointed out the great writing in Blade Runner and that character. So I thought they 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 came from it from like an intellectual villain and then just like scary movie monster crazy stuff. And so they both it it, it was tough comparing it that way but at the end i went with kirk because i think that he was able to take down that we've seen the movie monster and while the t-1000 is a fun character we've seen it before um we've seen the crazy movie monster before and it's just a chase scene the way that that was kind of what sold it to me was that it's just a chase scene after chase scene um and there's not much nuance to it and that the the stuff with um blade runner was a little more um thoughtful for a villain in a film like that that we hadn't seen before so uh that was really tough <laughs> brooklyn where are you going and why um this was also this is also really tough. I really liked both arguments. Um I appreciate that like whenever Cody went for the like the immovable words are tough, immovable object sort of sort of route with it and then Kirk was like, "All right, well my villain is much deeper." I had to had to come down to the defense. And I think that's where I give Kirk the point. Um I think Cody just did I think he was just a little bit on the back foot too much in the rebuttal. And I think if he just if he just referenced something from Blade Runner that wasn't the quote as to like why it wasn't this great, then it's then I probably give my point to Cody. But yeah, I think Kurt just narrows it, narrowly gets it. Okay, Brian, where your vote doesn't count, but where would you have gone and why? I actually went with Cody. Um I just feel like um you know Kirk explained to me why his is I think a better character. But I think as a better villain, I thought that uh, Cody had a better chance to tell me why the T-1000 is a villain. Even Kirk said, you know, the T-1000 is a great movie monster. Well, movie monsters make great villains. That's why Jason and Freddy and those people are great villains. So I, I I felt he was a better villain, but you guys chose Kirk, so there it is. Yeah, so that means your winner and still fan zone debate champion of the world is Kirk Kolakowski. Uh, we are going to move into some post-match interviews, starting with Cody. Cody, 
really crazy match. Um, I've known you a long time, and I can tell when you're just like exhausted and the match is done. You're kind of you're 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 out of juice, but I think you did a fantastic job. You won the first two, and and peek behind the curtain. You want a question that you have told me multiple times over the last few weeks that you were not excited about and you were able to pull it out um and it came down to the last question you also said you suck at the speed round and in fact you do not because you won one of them and then you split the other one so how are you feeling about the match no um i'm pissed i'm i'm beyond mad um if i'm being honest uh i mean i lost three straight at the end um to force it to where i had the downage so i had to win two speed rounds which i knew was a absolutely impossible um state uh yeah, it just sucks. I put a lot of work into it. And I knew going in, the questions didn't favor me. I, when I had the 2-0 lead, I was like, wow, this could actually go. But again, if you're playing Kirk, just win the first two. It doesn't mean shit because Kirk will win. Uh, at the end of the day, uh, he won. I just couldn't sway some judges over to my side on some of my stuff. Um, you think you're leaving everything on the field. I won because it was a fandom question. Like, if you put a Warzone question there, Kirk wins that question too. So, overall, just... I tried. I guess I'm done for the season, so that's great. That's not necessarily true, actually. Don't fucking kill me. Um, but <laughs> other than that, like, um, yeah, Kirk's just great. I just thought I had him on some of these. I thought I won some of these again. Like, um, Brian's right. You're all wrong. I'll just say that. And then no, I'm just kidding. And then yeah, good job, Kirk. You did. You did great. He, he, I just still, this, I put this whole match on a protest. He had to whisper at certain points. His light started fucking flashing at one. I think there's some fucking witchcrafts and some voodoo shit happening. So I don't take this as a loss. I take, and the fucking cat. Like, can we get some, where's the referee talk? He talked for four minutes also during the question and then the same that I talked the entire time. The, the, asshole. But good job. <laughs> All right, Cody. Um, I know you're upset, but I do have I do have an opponent for you for later on this season. Do you want to know who they are? Oh, I I looking forward to it. Somebody right, that's well, going to make me yell. Uh, it is somebody that is going to make you yell, but um, it is somebody that needs an opponent, and I couldn't think of a better opponent uh, for them than the loser of this match. And I think this is going to be really fun. Uh, you will be going up against. The person Kirk won the title from, Jacoby Bancroft, wow. uh, later this season. So what do you think about going up against Jacoby? Um, I feel like I'm going to have to uh, – like ever, and this really fucking hurts. So now i got to play Jacoby in a normal round, and he's fucking weird and throws weird shit out there. So I'm really looking forward to that fucking shit. Um yeah, I watch cats for this fucking thing. Like, is this fucking worth it? Like, fuck this. I picked it, but I also had to watch Jack and Jill. So, cool. all right, Kobe, uh, yeah, Jacoby. Woo, we'll have fun. <laughs> I think but did you have to pay for cats? No. <laughs> That's you know what? That's a silver lining. Cody, I think you did a great job tonight. Um, really great, great stuff. I look forward to seeing you uh, when you come back. So, thank you to Cody. Let's bring in Kirk. Uh, Kirk, great job tonight. Retaining the title. I believe this is the I said it earlier, but I think this is the third defense now. Um, and so you've beat Jacoby for the title, you beat Nazario, Rue, and now Cody. So um how do you feel about the defense and uh what are your overall thoughts on the match? 
Yeah, I, I think first of all, I think Cody played great. And I understand Ice Phone. I'd probably be feeling the same way. I know I'd be feeling the same way if the shoe was on the other foot. Um, so, um, you know, no no problem there. Um, but he played great. I think he, you know, he earned the points I he earned, I earned the points I heard, but it could have went either way. I mean, I think we both and I knew that's gonna be, I figured it would be split decision every time and you know, it was gonna come down to the wire. Um I feel like I needed to I, I like the, as 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 much success as I had here, I feel like the co- shadow of Cody was always looming over me. Um and to if I, and when I went down to nothing, I was really bummed because I, I was like, if I get swept here, like my no, everything else I've done is going to mean nothing because I everybody's going to look at me as a paper champion. So to to beat Cody like this, um, and I knew it was going to go, you know, if, if I was going to win, it, I was going to have to go the distance. Um, to beat Cody like this, I think, really is the kind of ice in the cake of everything I've done because just I think that cements what I've done. You know, that's respect to him um, that I that I, I was able to beat him. So um, I think a rematch is definitely. Uh, in the cards, um, we'll see that later on down the road. We'll see how that goes. Um, there's no doubt in my mind about that, but uh, great match by him, and I'm, I'm excited to pull it out. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, Kirk, uh, congrats on a great match today, but your next opponent. So, what we're looking at for you, um, we've got a bunch of people debuting, uh, the rest of the season here, a couple fill, filler matches like I was talking about with Jacoby. And Cody and some other matches that we have coming up, but you will be playing um, a, a new competitor. Uh, here are some of your uh, pr- prospects. You've got your uh, Brandon Cohens, your Will Cohens, your Tyler Birches, uh, Alex Martinez, um, your Bill Cariolas are debuting, and then uh, you also got somebody. Brooklyn Vale is debuting as well, so okay. uh, those are just some of the people that you might see. Any any of those names uh, ring any interest to you? Well, I mean, Brooklyn's another powerhouse, so if he's coming back, I mean, I think he's the the favorite in the clubhouse right now. Um, but as from who I know well from that group, I think Alex and Bill would both be a lot of fun to, to play as well. So it, it'll just be fun to play somebody new. Yeah. Pure entertainment. I want to see him face Bill. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Can't, can't I just when Bill signed the up? Things I'm that Bill will make him watch. I hope I hope it's Alex versus Bill to get to me because that'll be a fun match too. <laughs> Fair All right, well, Kirk, congrats on the on the win and the re- uh, retention of the title. We will see you back uh, soon. Uh, great job. So uh, let's wrap this one up, uh, Brian. Final thoughts from you. Yeah, I mean, it is what we thought it was going to be. It was it was for all the rounds, took all the speed rounds, um, eventually to choose a winner. Um, I think all of them except one were split decisions. So, yeah, this just shows that they're both, you know, powerhouse debaters, and I'm sure it's a match we'll see again. Yeah. And Brooklyn, final thoughts from you. Uh, yeah, in terms of a Kirk and Cody rematch, uh, shut up and take my money. Uh, in terms of a Kirk and Bill match at some point just shut up and take my money um i agree with i agree with brian where it was like except for the one clean sleep there was all split decisions um and even of those split decisions there was a couple where it's like like the arguments for the other side i'm like you're not wrong you're not wrong there um i think the name of the game for championship matches though is endurance um i think from I think Cody did what he wanted to do. Like obviously getting the two O lead is nice. He's off. He's often the aggressor in that stance. But I think, I think just whenever Kirk was ultimately on the back foot, it was like, all right, I'm going to buckle down and uh, kind of push my way forward. And yeah, I think this match will, will be kind of looked back as like a really solid, really solid uh, performance from, from both sides. Yeah. 
absolutely. So uh, thank you guys for judging this one. Thank you to the players, Kirk and Cody. Uh, and uh, thank you guys for watching. Be sure to stick around because we got more mayhem at the multiplex matches for you. So uh, the uh, number one contenders are the tournament finals for Warzone are coming up. I believe that is uh, it's safe to say that that is Caleb Boatman taking on uh, Andrew Barr. Uh, the winner of that will go on to face Jake Meltzer at a later time. Then over in the Warzone teams side of things, uh, the belts are on the line. Kumite is taking on Ginyu Force for the team's belts there. And then on the side of fandom, we also have... Um, uh, why can't I think of what we have? We have Joe Fairley going up against Brittany Tapley for the singles title. And then on the team side of things, we have Wookie Mistake going up against dummies. So uh, lots of great matches coming up for you from both Warzone and fandom. Uh, so stick around, watch them, check them out. Thank you guys for watching this. And we'll see you later with another match. Thank you. Bye. There we go. Thank you very much. Please come again. We have a lot more groceries.